Okay, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord for that. Father, would you change our lives? We didn't, we didn't just come here for entertainment. We did come here to, to enjoy you, but we understand that as we enjoy you, that you change our lives. And so as we open up the word of God, would you speak to our hearts and help us to become more like you and that the world around us would be affected because of what happens here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you guys can sit down. Okay, here's the question I want to start by asking you guys tonight, and you don't have to raise your hand. Well, go ahead and raise your hand. Do you guys love Jesus? Okay. Do you love Jesus? And here's the next question, and don't answer this too quickly. Just, just think the answer. Don't, uh, some of you are going to answer anyway because you're not listening to me. But do you love Jesus? And the second question I want to ask you guys is, would you be willing, do you love him enough that you would be willing to die for him? See? I'm so glad that you said yes. Okay, the answer is, there's so many of us are like, yes, I would die for Jesus. Well, here's the question that I want to ask you guys is, how do you know if you would be willing to die for him? I think that I would. In fact, everybody's got to die unless Jesus comes back first. So every, every one of these bodies that's in this room die eventually. Oh, that stinks. Um, the world, we're not necessarily going to live forever in these bodies, right? So as I think about how I'm going to die, wouldn't it be great if I got to die for Jesus? But I, I think that I'd really be willing, that I really love him enough that I would be able to die for him. But I really don't know that for sure until that day happens, right? And isn't that the way that all of our relationships are? That we really, you know, we have people that we're like, man, he's cool. He's my friend. He's my friend. But we really don't know how strong the love is between two people until that love is tested, right? Have you guys heard the phrase, a friend in need is a friend? Indeed, that's right. I thought you were going to say a friend in need is a friend who brings another friend to the cornerstone. But a friend in need is a friend indeed. Think about what that means. You've heard that before, right? What's the meaning? The meaning is that, that you know who your true friends are based on when they're in need, whether you are really willing to sacrifice to help them. I don't know if you guys ever thought about that. That's what that's talking about. That you, we got these fuzzy feelings, you know, it's like me and Jeremy. We're, we're cool. I love this guy, right? We like to hang out. And when I'm with him, I'm happy, right? You feel mutual, right? <laughs> feelings mutual, man. Say it. Okay. But, and, and we, we call, you know, we, we got these feelings about people, whether it's a guy or a girl or whatever. And we might call it love or strong friendship or whatever. But we really don't know how strong that love is until we have to sacrifice to some degree. And the, the, the amount that we're willing to sacrifice for somebody that we say that we love really shows the, the strength of that relationship. You guys know that, notice that girls do this all the time? A guy starts to hang out with a girl, and, you know, it takes a guy about, an average guy, about three seconds to get to think she could be the one. <laughs> and, you know, some girls are like that too, but typically <laughs> girls are like, Huh? We're just friends, man. Those dreaded words like, I just want to be friends. Right? Okay. And the test the gr that the girls are psychologically putting you through, that subconsciously putting you through, is, is this guy going to be committed to a friendship with me even if he doesn't get me as a girlfriend or a wife? Now, they're not thinking about that consciously, but how many times have we seen couples get together where he's like being all friendly and she's like, man, I just want to be friends. And, and what usually happens in the world is what does the guy do at that point? He's, bye-bye, I'm finding the girl, the Mrs. Wright. 
So it's either he abandons her or he treats her like she's an enemy. But the test, the subconscious test that the girls are putting you through, guys, is they want to see if you just continue to treat them as a precious sister no matter what because that's the kind of guy that the girl really wants. Okay, that's the test. How, they're not meaning to do this, but they do it all the time. If you haven't noticed, I can mention some names. Okay? It's a test to see how, how strong your love for that person is when you don't get what you want. And so, to, you guys, what we're talking about tonight is you can talk all night long. You can talk all, all the rest of your life about how much you love Jesus. But if your love for Jesus costs you nothing, then how do you really know how much you love him? Well, let's think about this. How do you know how much you love Jesus? So what we're looking at here is Luke 22. Luke 22, starting in verse 31. You guys remember the night, this is the night before Jesus died. Jesus is about to be put to death. And he's just, he's just had uh, the Passover celebration with them. It all points to him. And then in the middle of that Passover celebration, him explaining that he's going to die and that he's going to die because one of them betrays him and everybody else abandons him. And as soon as he tells them that this is going to happen, they all go into defense mode. They're like, not me, not me. It's him, not me. Right? And, and that evolves into an argument about who's the greatest. And Luke doesn't tell us the names of the people, the disciples of Jesus that were in that argument. He didn't have to tell us because we can infer it by what Jesus says in verse 31, okay? So look at verse 31. This is how Jesus responds. After they're all arguing about who's the greatest and who's Jesus' best friend. I'm Jesus' best friend. No, I'm Jesus' best friend. I would never betray him. And Jesus says, verse 31, Simon, Simon. Simon's other name is? Peter. Simon, Peter, Cephas. His name, is, his name was Simon. But Jesus changes his name to Peter, which in Aramaic is Cephas. Sometimes he's referred to as Cephas. And that means rock, rocky. This is Rocky, okay? I mean, he's calling him Rocky because he sees who Peter's going to be. But here, Jesus uses his name, his old name, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Satan has asked permission to do damage in your life. Guys, I want you to understand this. When, when, when hard things come, it's Satan's plan. But God lets the devil do it. And the reason that God lets the devil allow hard things in your life is because he has a plan to use Satan's attack in your life for something good. That's why, that's why today was so hard. That's why tomorrow's going to be hard. And you guys are like, oh, we need to cast the devil out. Well, yeah, maybe. But the devil's, the devil's wreaking havoc in your life, and the Lord is letting the devil do hard things in your life because God has a plan to perfect you into something that you are not yet. Look at what Jesus says. Satan is asked to sift you. Satan is asked to attack you, Simon, but I have prayed for you. This is a word to you guys, too. Whatever you're going through right now, Jesus is your advocate. He's standing for you. I have prayed for you, Simon. What's he praying? That Satan would just leave him alone? No. He can, he can flip Satan. Oh, he can get rid of Satan right away. But he says, I'm letting Satan attack you, but I'm praying for you because the purpose in all this is that your what does it say? Your faith may not fail. That's what Jesus is all about in Simon Peter's life. 
Jesus' goal in Simon Peter's life is that Simon Peter would be a person of faith and God's goal in your life and the reason that you've, that you've had hard times today and hard times tomorrow and hard times the next day is because God doesn't care so much about making your life easy. What he cares about is your faith. Building faith in your life. That's what Jesus is about in Simon Peter's life. And then look what Jesus says to him. And when you've turned back, after you've gone your selfish way, Peter, you're going to turn back and strengthen your brothers. You're going to strengthen your brothers. Guys, this is, this is God's plan for Peter, that Peter would be a man who strengthens the church. In fact, Jesus had called him rock, and he said, upon this, this rock, I'm going to build my church. And God used Peter's life to build the church. And Peter, just, just I, you know, circle that, strengthen your brothers. This is God's plan for Peter's life, and it is also God's plan for, guess who? Your life. And Peter replies, Peter just doesn't get it. Look what Peter says. He says, look, Jesus. Once again, he's telling Jesus what, what, what he thinks reality is. Look, Jesus, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Isn't that the way you all feel? If I would have said, are you guys willing to die? Do you love Jesus enough to, willing to die for him? I think most of you would have said, yes. And if you ask Peter here, Peter, did you love Jesus? He's like, yes, I will die for him. And look what happens. Jesus says, Peter, before the rooster crows tonight, today, you will deny three times that you even know me. Get what's happening here. Peter's defending himself. I'm your friend, Jesus. I'm your best friend. I'd never deny you. And Jesus is saying, Peter, you have no idea what you're really like. Because tonight, you're going to tell three times in one night, you're going to say you don't even know me. And so, what happens? They head outside the city. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane, down the Kidron Valley, up into the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is, is, goes through this excruciating realization, this understanding that he is taking the sins of the world, the penalty for all sins, for all of our sins, all the people at the cornerstone, he's taking those on his shoulders, on his shoulders. And he's struggling with this. And we see Jesus struggling because he faces the abandonment of not only all people, but the abandonment of his father. And he's hurting. And he's like, guys, you pray with me. And what does Peter do? <laughs> Sleeping, right? He sleeps. And then what happens? The, the guards come. We're going to study this later on. But the guards come, and they take Jesus away. And look at verse 54. Look what happens. They take Jesus away to Caiaphas' house, the high priest, to hold him to mourning until they can get permission from the government to put him to death. Verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, but when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. So why is Peter following? Because he does care about Jesus. He does love Jesus. But he's about to prove that his love for Jesus isn't what he knows it ought to be. And a servant girl, a puny servant girl, she's got no power. She's not scary. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely in, at him and said, this guy was with Jesus. And he's like, woman, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. And a little bit later, someone else saw him and said, hey, you're, one of, you're one of those Jesus people. Man, I'm not either. Man, I'm not. Peter, Peter replied. Verse 59, about an hour later, another is like, 
this guy is with Jesus. Because listen to how he talks. He's Galilean. He's a part of that, those weirdos. He's got the weird lingo. He acts like Jesus. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned. So, so there Jesus is tied. And Jesus can see Peter. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me three times. And Peter goes outside and he weeps bitterly. Okay, here's the application for the people at the cornerstone right now. Everybody in this room is like Simon Peter. All of us say we love Jesus. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. Saying, we say that if we had the opportunity, we'd die for him. And then as soon as the situation comes up, we prove to him that we don't love him. At least not like we had believed that we did. The truth is that, we're, that every one of us in this room is a fair-weather friend. You guys know a fair-weather friend? friend who's okay when it's easy, when it's convenient? Every one of us in, the, in this room has proved that we're a fair-weather friend by how we treated him today or yesterday or maybe it was Saturday night and guys the proof of our love for Jesus is not how we feel when we're singing the worship songs or we're in the Bible study or we're at the prayer conference the proof of our love for Jesus is how committed we are to keeping our eyes on him and standing up for him when the world is hurling their mockery at us I don't know what it's like in your guys' classes, but I just, I mean, I remember some of my classes where, where Christians were considered stupid. It seemed like some professors enjoyed making Christians look bad. And when you're in the middle of that, are you going to give in to, the, to, to fear because some little servant girl is like, hey, you're with Jesus. Aren't you a church person? Oh, you don't, you don't, you don't do the kind of thing that everybody else does. Oh, you must be a Christian? You guys are so bigoted. So selfish. So self-centered. You guys heard that kind of thing? I hope you've heard that. If you haven't heard it, that means you're not talking about Jesus. All you got to do is say, I'm a Christian. And you're going to have people ridiculing you. Guaranteed. Why not? That's your opportunity to show how much you love him. Some of you guys have treated Jesus horribly this past week. Some of you guys have done what Jesus, what Peter did, Jesus that night. But here's God's word for you. Here's God's word for you guys. The story's not over yet. The story's not over yet. Jesus isn't done with you. Whatever you've done, however you failed him, whatever thing you've chosen to love more than him, whether that's some drug or some sexual experience or, or pornography or some food or, or laying in bed being lazy or popularity or safety from people knowing that you're connected with him. Whatever you've done, here's the word of the Lord for you. Jesus hasn't given up his call in your life. Jesus is still calling you to complete the assignment that he called you to do when you first heard his voice. And I want you guys to see that this is the case in Simon Peter's life. Because look at what Simon Peter does after he fails Jesus. What is the first thing he do, does when the rooster crows? 
He goes outside and cries. He, what's he crying for? He's crying. First of all, he's crying because he just let his friend down. He proved that he didn't love, his, didn't love Jesus though that he was supposed to. But I think he's also crying because he had a, he'd, he'd left his business. He'd forsaken all kinds of things. He had loved Jesus to a degree. And he had this dream of being a part of what Jesus was doing. He didn't understand what it all was. But Jesus said, you're going to rule with me in my kingdom. And now it's all over. And so what happens next? That's the day before Jesus dies. And what happens? Jesus dies, and I don't know, you know, I just wish we had Peter's journal during that time. But he's hurting. So Sunday morning, he hears from one of the women. They're still in that upper room. They're scared, and they're hiding out. But one of the women is like, one of the women, some of the women went out there, and they get back, and they're like, Jesus' body is gone. And remember, Peter's just running. He runs out there, and John runs with him, and John runs faster, which is humiliating for Peter, because Peter's the tough guy. Um, <laughs> But John gets there first, and Jesus' body is gone, and Peter's going, I can't believe I let him down again. Somebody stole his body. And what happens? Later that day, we don't know the conversation, but later that day, Jesus talks to Peter. That must have been really painful. But that night, Peter's in the upper room again. They're hiding out, and Jesus appears to them. You guys remember this? Ten out of the 11 disciples, only Thomas is not there. And Jesus appears to them. What do you think Peter is doing? I think he's just like, I don't think he can look Jesus in the eye. And what happens next? Does anybody know what happens next in the story? You got to go over to John 21 to look at it. It's my fa- one of my, I think my favorite chapter in the Bible. John 21, you guys will know here in a few minutes why it's my favorite chapter. But John 21, and you guys, you guys have read this before, but you've never thought about it in the context of what had happened the last time that Jesus and Peter had met. Peter was convinced that he loved Jesus enough to die for him. And here they are in John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And John's going to tell us how this happened. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. How many disciples were together? Count them. If you guys don't have your Bibles, you need a Bible to come to Bible study. So, come on. You guys are taking calculus and you can't even count. Seven. There's seven people. Unless I'm counting wrong. So, if I'm counting wrong, you can tell me. Okay. Simon Peter says, I'm going out to fish. You guys understand what's going on here. Simon Peter says, I'm going out to fish. What he's saying is my ministry is over, and I'm going back to fishing. He hasn't been fishing probably since the time that Jesus called him. You guys remember when Jesus called him? Same place. Same place there. Remember, he had a fishing business. And Jesus comes and he says, hey, go you know, put, your, put your nets out there. And he catches, catches a bunch of fish. And now all these years have gone by where he's been following Jesus, learning. He's been planning to f- catch men. And now the story's over, and he's back to business. Ministry is done. He's like, I'm going back to fish. And he not only goes back to the old business, he pulls six other guys with him. And it's like, guys, obviously what we thought was going to happen with the overthrow of the Romans isn't happening. Back to business. Back to work. But Jesus isn't done yet. So they went out on the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Nothing. They didn't catch anything. I mean, you think after four years of him not fishing... He's back to fishing. 
started to be some more fish in the lake, but nothing there. And early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. And I was thinking, man, I wish I had a picture of what this was like. The, the place at, the, at Lake Galilee, back when I was a kid in the Philippines, early in the morning, the fishermen would be out there. And as soon as it was light, people were on the shore calling out to people going, hey, did you catch any fish? Because we were hungry, right? So I thought, man, I wish I had a picture of that place. And I, and I looked on my Google photos, and I had one. And it's me calling out to the fishermen. So put, can you put that picture up there? I didn't even know that. George Atik took this photo. I didn't even know he took it. So here's the cool thing. There's the boat. This is, this is almost the exact place where this story is happening, so you guys can get a picture of it. That's me, not Jesus. <laughs> this is a friend of mine. Okay, so Jesus stands on the shore, and he calls out, and he's like, you guys got any fish? And this is common. Has anybody grown up near fishing, like in a fishing village? Okay, who's going to the Philippines with me in, in April? Okay. Oh, cool. Okay, you guys are going to see. We're going to do this in the morning because we're going to be hungry. Okay, and they're like, no. They answered. He's like, okay, throw your nets over on the side of the boat and you'll find some. They're like, yeah, right. But they do it. And they're thinking, well, that guy, must, that guy on the shore must have seen the fish jumping. So they do it. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And Peter's going, this happened once before. Four years ago, I remember. The same place. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's, that's John, he turns to Peter and he's like, that's Jesus! It's the Lord! And Peter's like, I know, it's the Lord! And he wraps his, he, he put his clothes on because he'd taken his clothes off because that's what fishermen do because nobody's watching them. And, and he jumps in the water and he swims like dog paddle and he's at the shore in a second. And the other disciples followed in the boat towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Where did Jesus get that fish? Man. So and he's got breakfast for them. I love this because if you guys have ever been hungry out in, out in the middle of nowhere and had fish, fresh fish for breakfast, some of you guys are like, man, I eat Wheaties. But if you've ever been in that situation, <laughs> it is really good. And Jesus, has anybody had food prepared by Jesus before? But this is good. And... He's got fish on it and some bread. And Jesus is like, hey, bring some of the fish you just caught. And Simon Peter climbs on board and drags the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. You, um, extra credit, you guys can figure out what's, in, what's significant about that number. But even with so many fish, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Isn't that cool? Guys, the guys that are abandoning Jesus again, they're back to their old business. And he shows up and he's like, come on, I'm cooking you breakfast. What's he showing to them? That they don't have to go back to their old business. He's still got a plan for them and he's going to provide for them. This is a word to some of you. Some of you are spending your lives trying to make your life work. And I've told you before, you're not smart enough or strong enough or have enough money or going to be in the right places enough time enough to make your life work. Jesus will provide for you if you will work for him. So Jesus invites them to breakfast, and none of the disciples, I mean, it's still dark, and they're like, they're, none of them are like, who are you? And they know it's him, right? Jesus, verse 13, Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. I wish I could have been there. This was now the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they finished eating, 
Got some unfinished business to take care of. Jesus says to Simon Peter, let's go walk. Come here. And Peter's like, I knew this was coming. And they're walking on the shore right there on that, on that place that I was talking to. He's like, so, Simon, son of John, do you really love me more than these? Why is he saying that? Because three weeks ago, Peter was saying, they can all fall away, I'll never, I'll never abandon you. Remember? And Jesus is saying, do you really love me more than these? And what does Peter say? Okay, if you guys have been in my office talking about this, because I know I've shared this with lots of you, what does Peter say? What does it look like Peter says? It looks like Peter says yes. He's, in English, it says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But I want to tell you what it says in Greek. He doesn't use the same word that Jesus does. Jesus says, Peter, do you, I'm going to teach you some Greek right now. Okay, four words for Greek. I'll just teach you two of them right now. Teach you those another time when we're doing the dating series. Um, okay, one word for love is agape. Agape love is the kind of love that you will die for somebody and it does not feel good. Oh, I should have brought the picture. I've got a picture of Ruth with my wife Ruth with throw up all over her and Ian next to her. That's love. That's agape love. It's love that doesn't feel good. And Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me enough to die for me? And Pete, in English, it sounds like he's saying yes. If you look at the Greek, it's, the word is phileo, friendship love. It means affection. I like you. What Peter says is he's like, yeah, Lord, you know that I like you. Or you know that you're my friend. He can't, he can't bring himself to say, I love you with agape love because it's, he's proved that he doesn't. Do you guys understand what's going on here? And what does Jesus say? Guys, Jesus' words to Peter at this point is Jesus' words to you because you guys have just done the same thing like that Peter has and proved to Jesus that you don't love him the way that you're supposed to. And Jesus is like, do you love me? And if you're honest, you say, Lord, I like you. And he says to you the same thing he says to Peter, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. In other words, Peter, I called you to feed my lambs. And just because you made some stinking, selfish move back there the night before I was dying does not mean that you still don't have a job to. You feed my lambs. And then look at verse 16. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, I mean, does he have to ask a second time? How, how mean can he be? Simon, son of John, they're walking on the beach. Do you, do you truly love me? Again, he uses the word agape. He's like, do you truly love me with the kind of love that would bring you to death for me? And once again, Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I really like you. You know, you miss this if you just look at it in English. And what does Jesus say? He says, okay, Peter, you really like me. You got a job to do. Your calling has not ended. I still have a call in your life. Go feed my sheep and stop this fishing stuff. Are you guys hearing me? Then they keep walking. And there's no, now, you know, Peter's not saying anything now. It's kind of silence. And then he's like, so, Peter, 
It's third time he says, Simon, son of John, do you like me? He uses the word phileo, not agape. He's like, so Peter, am I even your friend? It's like a knife in Peter's heart. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you, do you, do you like me? Am I your friend? That's basically what this is. Do you phileo me? Do you have phileo for me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that you're my friend. He still uses the word phileo. Why? Because he can't say agape because he knows it isn't true. At least he's honest. And some of us need to be honest too. And we need to be like Peter. But Does Peter want to love Jesus? Absolutely. Does he want to be a guy who's able to die for Jesus? Absolutely. But he knows that he failed. And he can't bring himself to believe. To, he can't bring himself to, to say that he loves Jesus. But look at what Jesus says. Last part of verse 17. Jesus says, feed my sheep. You might not be able to say that you love me. But you know what? You still got a job to do. I still called you. I still called you. And then he said, look at verse 18. I tell you the truth, Peter. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you did not want to go. Verse 19. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said, you follow me, Peter. And for years, I read through this and I thought, Jesus just switched channels. He says, do you love me? I like you. Do you love me? I like you. Do you like me? You know that I like you. Okay, when you, when you were young, you did whatever you wanted, and when you get old, you, you're going you're gonna to die. And I was like, huh? What's the connection? Peter gets what he wants. Peter dies on a cross for Jesus. And, and Jesus tells him here, he can't bring himself to say, I love you, Jesus, because he proved three weeks ago that he didn't. And Jesus says, the story is not over. You are going to die for me. And I think Peter is like, yes! He's so excited. Because that's the dream of his heart, that he would love Jesus so much that he, that he would be willing to give his own life. And here's the message to you guys. You have proved again and again and again, and so have I. I'm included in this. We've proved again and again that we don't love him the way that we should, but the story's not over. And I just want to say, whatever stinking stuff you've done this week or last week or the week before or been doing every day, the story's not over. Jesus has not backed out on his call for you to feed his sheep and to serve him, and he will take care of you, and you don't got to go back to the fishing business to make this all work. And I just want to invite everybody in this room to prepare yourself for martyrdom. I'm serious. This is to what you were called to. Now, I hope that you don't, that everybody in this room doesn't have to die as a martyr. But you need to prepare yourself mentally for that. That's what we were called to. I want to read to you guys out of Joel Richardson's book. Joel Richardson was at, at our um, prophecy conference a year ago. And just, just one little, um, just a couple sentences from here. This book called um, The Islamic Antichrist, and I think you guys should read this because it'll, it'll help you to understand why we're doing Bible study. There's a war out there. There's a plan to, for, there's a plan to destroy people who follow Jesus, and this is what Joel Richardson says. Martyrdom is not s merely something for those in 
far-off lands to think about. Everyone who claims the name Christian should be preparing his, his or her heart for potential martyrdom. This is not an optional preparation for only those who live in third world countries or those who live at certain times in history. Preparing for martyrdom has always been part of what it means to be a true Christian. Always until, we, until now, when we live in this safe um, country. Which is good. Praise God for the safety we live in. Christianity is the only religion that has as its highest example a man who was tortured and put to death publicly. As Christians, we are to be his followers. Do you love Jesus? You guys aren't as enthusiastic as they're. You know what? We do. Do you guys want to love Jesus? Yes. And my, my, my attitude is, Lord, teach me to love you more. My number one prayer for years, my breath prayer. You know, I've got certain prayers that, that, that just, it's, it's just like moment by moment. And for, for years, my number one prayer was, God, would you teach me to love you more? Would you help me to love you more? Guys, I just want to encourage you to pray that. I want, you to, I want to ask you, what is the prayer that you go to when you don't have to think about something else? Or what is the thought that you go to when you don't have to? I mean, you have to think about calculus and algebra and physics and about you know, getting your rent and your job and everything else. But when you, when you get a minute to not have to think about all that stuff, where does your mind go? And I want to ask you to train yourself to, to pray at that moment. Now, those are short prayers. My, 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 my constant prayer that I pray that I probably prayed 40 times today, is now it's just, it's just, Lord, help me. I think I must have prayed that 40 times a day because I need his help. For years, it was, Lord, help me to love you the way that I should. Help me to love you more than anything else. So let's just stand up and let's just pray that together. Would you guys just say, Lord, help me to love you more than anything else. I can't muster up the love on my own. I need your help. And so, Father, I'm just asking that every person in this room would be a person who loves you more tomorrow than they did today. And none of us ever gets to the point where we're perfect in love like you are. But, Lord, we're learning to be like you. We're asking for your Holy Spirit impartation in our lives to become that kind of a person, to keep becoming those kind of people, and that we would get the opportunity tomorrow and the next day and the next day to pass the test of love showing you that we love you. Lord, we do love you. Help us in our lack of love. Help us to love you more. We offer our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We've got a...